The Story in Your Head, Episode 26, Life Work. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Michelle and I discuss the different ways to change your mindset around homework and learning so that it becomes more enjoyable and the lessons stick better. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome, everyone. And today, we're going to talk about practices for learning. So traditionally, when we learned, at least as I remember, we did this thing called homework. And when you right, when you say homework, right, it triggers that emotion, at least it does for me, it's an eight letter word, but it triggers all sorts of memories and just emotions for me. But I think there's something better now. You know, like, do we still do homework? Is there other things we do as we become adults? So I've really been thinking about this a bit, but I wanted to ask Ron. So when I say homework, what does that do to you? What does it trigger for you? And what new practices perhaps have you developed as you've moved through life and past the traditional (laughs) schooling that we all get past at some point and move forward? Thanks, Michelle. It all started, my memory of homework is I was just this close to getting out for the school day to go home and and actually do something that I would enjoy and have fun. And then there was a space where the teacher would say, and for tomorrow, please bring back this homework. And I was just going like, "Ah, oh man, I got to go home and do homework. And then I would, you know, when I got home, it wasn't that I went home and did my homework right away. I would go home and put my homework on the shelf and I would go do what I wanted to do. And then like it was in my background the whole time going like ruining all my fun because I was thinking about the homework. And then we had dinner and and then there would be a conversation around, do you have any homework? And I go, yeah, I do. And I go up and do it or not. And like it was, it was a space of the word I think is like actually two four letter words stuck together. And it's it's just perturbing. And I don't think I was alone in that. I think it was a common space for everybody to be perturbed by the word of homework. So that's my history. That's what I grew up with. What I used to love to do was run experiments. Like, like when, you know, when you were in school and you did an experiment in a science lab or something, right? Or you'd be at home and you'd be making something, you're trying to cook something, or you're trying to go out in the backyard trying to build something. And you run these experiments and it's really like a lot of fun. Like you're, there's challenges to it, there's learning, there's all that stuff going on, on in your brain. But it sure didn't feel like homework at all. It felt like fun and life. Yeah. So what I really look back at it and I say, what did we really do in homework is we got a chance to experiment. Now I didn't call it that back then. I I didn't even think about it that way. It was a drudgery, torment, pain. It just, that's all it was. And, but I did love to run experiments. So when I started to look at it, what are we really doing? when we're doing homework, we're actually trying it on. 
We're actually saying, well, this is what the learning was. We had that somebody presented at school, like the knowledge, right? And we go home and we try it on. We see what we can do. Can we do the math? Can we do? The, can we write the sentence? Can we what, look up stuff in the in the encyclopedia? Or you know, we didn't have the internet back then, and all that stuff. We could you actually look all that up and and produce something, experiments on how to do that. And yet here I am living, and I love running those experiments in the backyard or on the farm or wherever we were, and I hate homework. So when I reshuffled that later in life, much later, what I noticed was when I could coordinate or should I say orientate to that it was not homework, it was actually experiments in life. And that's where we kind of came up with the idea of it's really not homework, it's life work. It is where we go out and live our life and we run experiments. So we never know what we're going to get when you run an experiment. You always get results, but you never know what the results are until you get to the end. And it's a space to try things on, to, to be in new spaces, and to go like really learn something new. And then you can share it, but then you know, just because it worked once doesn't mean it'll work again. I've proven that over and over again. Well, I got it figured out. And then you try it six months later and you go, that didn't work, right? And that's what shows up for me. What's showing up for you? Yeah, thanks. So I, I picked apart the word, right, home and work. It's kind of an odd thing, right? You, you work at home. That's where you're supposed to do this learning. What about school, right? So all sorts of things kind of worked for me. And one of the things that you made me remember was one of my experiments where I, I learned quite a bit. So I always love to figure out how things worked. And for some reason, I have no idea what possessed me to choose something to take apart to see how it worked, right? You have a whole house full of stuff. And so what I chose was our electric stove. <laughs> Probably one of the most complicated things you could possibly take apart. And I just remember I took it apart. I got it all back together again because I was like so worried I wouldn't get it together again before my dad got home, except I couldn't get the doors to close right, right? They weren't square, so they didn't close. And I'm like totally prepared for what would happen. And my dad found it incredibly amusing, thank God, right? And fixed it, put the doors on right. But I was probably about 12. And, and the reason why I say that is like, that was a hell of a lot of fun, right? Until I panicked and realized I couldn't get the doors back on. And I learned a lot, right? I learned a lot about screws, how things fit, what's going on. Probably wasn't a great idea to be messing with so much electricity because it was an electric stove, but I, obviously I was safe. But what you triggered for me, that, like, that's when I learned, right? Homework sometimes, and I remember even through college, it, it could be, should you choose to look at it this way, memorization game, right? Mm -hmm. If I can remember all the stuff and just prepare for the test and take the test, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. And I was never a great memorizer. Uh, it just it just doesn't work for me. What I what I do though, I'm a great person that learns through experiences. So in trial and error. So like I said, taking the stove apart, I learned a lot because now I I kind of could figure it out. Reading a book and seeing a schematic on the stove and memorizing all the parts on it. First of all, I find it boring as hell. It just it wouldn't have helped me on the mechanics of how the stove works. So I've always been sort of an experiential learner, and I guess that's what I've I've learned from that and homework at least as I remember it, for a lot of my school years was about memorization, which I wasn't good at. And I don't think I understood the shift till I went to college. 
And I went to engineering school and it was a lot of labs. And so that kind of gets to your experiment shift, right? You know, we used to do a lot with pool balls, right? Reactions and different things you take, you know, from playing pool, you throw these balls around and you see how different things react. I was like, well, that's kind of fun. I can get into that, you know, equal reaction. If you smash the two together, how far do they fall apart? And so I don't know. So I guess I'm working it with you, that experiment piece. It's what a shift that has in the thinking for me to get away from it's about taking a test and memorizing, which was not very, very, very stressful for me, to just plain relaxing and having fun, right? And the experiment goes however it goes, and you'll figure out what it looks like afterwards and then try it again if it's not what you expect. Thanks, Michelle. I'll add to my story and yours that there's, there's something that's different about the way our brain works when we're in the middle of something that's real, right? Reading a story about something, taking a test, watching a teacher talk about something. And then there was a moment when you get really into it. I mean, we do that in school. We try to fake that where it's like we have experiment labs and this kind of stuff. But there's like taking the, the oven apart at home. Like there's real consequences if you don't get it back together right. And the learning sticks. The same is true with like when I was playing football and we'd, we'd practice everything, practice didn't seem to stick like what you learned in a game stuck, right? You never forgot what happened out there, right? Because it, there were real consequences, like the oven. You don't put it back together right, not to mention you're probably messing around with 220 volts in, yeah, the, uh, in the oven. I didn't if, say it was a brilliant idea. No, no, it, it's, um, I, I acknowledge your courage <laughs> to take on the challenge, but it's also like it really is like like that's where you learn. I if you I, I'm just guessing, but when you go to look at a stove somewhere, you go, yeah, I know how to take that apart. I can put it back together because you have you've done that. The same is true. But if you read it in a book, you'd go, eh, I don't know. Even if you watch a YouTube video, sometimes you go, well, I kind of got an idea, so let me try it out. But once you've replaced a radiator on a car, you know how to replace a radiator on a car. Because you figured out what's not going to go wrong, what's going to go in, not going to happen, all that kind of stuff. And that's where we learn is running those experiments. And I find it useful to hold everything that I do is an experiment. Because it's never the same as it was before. It's always something new. It is a place to learn and a place to produce something. And that makes it real. When the competition is real, the competitiveness, the collaboration, what you have at risk is real. There's a real space for you to hold what it is you get. And that's why our focus on what we do in our programs is not about how do we take a test and pass and get a grade. We don't give grades because grades don't matter, right? Don't tell my kids that when they were going through college, right? Because right, all that stuff I used to say. But grades really don't matter because you can't buy anything with grades. But with the skill of doing something, that's worth something that somebody will transact with you for. And that's where we, we learn and can hold that. Yeah. So one of the things I remember myself and and working with students that go through the program, people sometimes ask me, did you check my homework? Was it right? It's like every answer is right. How could that be? It has to be a right answer. And then people go through and do tons of research on what the right answer is to a question. And it takes a while. And the question I usually ask is, well, who's the homework for? Or who's the assignment for? The discovery question, whatever word will trigger for them. And it takes about a month maybe more, maybe a little less for people to realize that the homework and what we've asked in the questions 
the really reflective questions and thought questions is for them. We're just there to help them see what's going on and to and to work with them on that. But that's a I find a pretty meaningful shift in people when they start to realize that. And I know people got mad at me a lot of times. Well, just tell me the answer. It's like no. The answer is whatever you create it to be, and that just frustrates them to no end. So I'm just curious on that. What's been your experience there and the shift in people to realize when you do this work, right, reflective questions or life work, who's it for? What I notice is it, like that's a product of our culture and where we, we grew up. I mean, from a very young age, I don't know that we really knew anything about who we were, what we were after. We were already learning how to get grades, right? Why? Nobody knew why. We just knew we had to do it. And if we didn't get the grades or whatever, then there was consequences for that. So we, we did that all the way through whatever end of schooling we went to and the space where we were focused on getting the grades. It is a significant shift for people to give up, right, that like the grades don't matter. What matters is can you do something? Can you learn? Can you learn beyond what we're talking about? Can you learn when nobody else is there? Can you learn and continue to grow? That's the the power. And sometimes that happens around week three or four. Sometimes it's like later on because they've been doing their homework the whole time and finally they just come to the place where they go, "Um, are you never going to give me a grade or tell me what my homework score was? And we just go like, did it work for you? No, that's not what I'm asking. I want the answer. Did I get it right? I go, have you built new connections? Right? And that's a shift. And at first, it's a very painful shift. It can be very painful because they're so used to getting their ego or self-esteem from the grade versus getting finding satisfaction in the relationships that they have. And we don't give out any grades to anybody except Eric Stiller. Because he really, 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 really wants grades. Yeah, you go, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found what that leads me to is thinking, you know, there's things I know. There's a pretty long list of things I don't know. And when I got into my career, when it comes to learning and experiments, is being comfortable with, and actually a source of power, when somebody asked a question to say, I don't know. And people would initially go, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I, I don't know the answer, but but I know how to find out. And what that leads me to is right, running that experiment. When somebody asks something, to be honest with myself, that I didn't know it, but then to go run the experiments and come back to what I found, which I found was more authentic and honest than sometimes you know, making something up that I thought might be there. But it makes me think of life work because as I continue to work, every time I said I don't know, I would go out and I'd learn something new and it adds up over time and became pretty, pretty compelling when I was in my career to be open to learning more because that was the only way to go forward in advance. Michelle, when you acknowledged that you didn't know, how did people react to that? Well, the first time I did it, it was terrifying, right? Because the culture of the company was, especially if you're a manager, God forbid, a manager, an executive, you have to know everything. And so I was scared to say it when I first went through it. But then we had a, a really strong leader in the company 
actually the CEO, and somebody asked him a question in one of these, you know, really big meetings. And he said, I don't know. He goes, but, but I know somebody that does and I'll connect you. I was like, God, he said he didn't know. And I'm looking around and like, okay, he didn't get fired. I don't know how he would have known that thing because it was a very scientific question, right? That only the, the actual scientist would, would know that probably the answers to some of that. And I saw it was okay, right? Or at least that's the way I took the story. And so the first time I said it, I was scared. I'm sure I was sweating. My heart was, you know, 160 beats per second and all sorts of things going on. And people were, were shocked that I said I didn't know. Now, if I probably stopped and said, I don't know, and walked away, it would have been different. Uh, but I said, I don't know. Let me go find out. And the first time I did that, I went out, you know, did my research, talked to some people, and I went out and said, okay, here's what I found out. And then we'd have a discussion on it. By about the 10th time I did that, people are like, and I said, oh, no, let me go find out. The interesting thing that happened is others would say, can I come with you? Right? Because they wanted to know too. And it was kind of fun to figure it out. And, and we would learn together. And that became much more powerful. And I did not anticipate that at all. So that's sort of the, the story. And it became, as I kind of continued to go through, and maybe I just navigated to areas where that was more acceptable, or I saw it more, but saying I don't know, is much more powerful than saying you, you do know when you don't. Because that's actually can be that can have bigger consequences. So I want to check in there. You said you may have navigated to areas that were more, that was more acceptable. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm thinking of, so I, I worked for a very large company and I'm making this story up. So, right. There's my story. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started, it, it was not acceptable. And as time went on, it was more acceptable. Um, I guess I, I don't have the theory that I was able to change a you know, $50 billion company in 23, you know, or 76 countries, but maybe small areas. And those are the areas and divisions or groups where that was the way of thinking. So that's what I meant by navigating, is looking and working in the areas where I don't know was an accepted practice. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. What I'm noticing is that you made it okay to not know. Like, this, how that could have spread through a group, right? And maybe you didn't change the whole company, but you and a few other people may have changed the whole company or changed the division of the company to make it okay to say, I, I don't know, let's go find out. There's an idea that the greatest use of knowledge is to know what you don't know. How does that show up for you? Hmm. Well, I'd say that there are some things that I know I don't know and it's because I don't care to know them, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm really good with that. And unless I have to, there's certain things that, that I don't need to know. It would be great to know all the things I don't know, but, but I don't see how that's possible, right? The world is changing and everything's going forward. It's more of a discovery of things that I don't know when I come across something and kind of do a, hmm, I'm not sure how that works or that didn't quite come out the way I thought. Maybe it's, not what I thought it was. And let me think about that again and try that a different way. So uh, I agree it could be a, a great source of power. I'm not sure how you do that. But it's also kind of fun discovering it along the way as long as you make it fun. That's great. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. How, how about for you on that phrase? That was a tricky one. Yep. So what I know, have noticed in my life is I made up a lot of stories. In fact, all of the knowledge that I have are the stories that I made up in my head. And most of the first 20 years of my life, 
I didn't have a good assessment of who I was listening to when I made up those stories. So I made up a lot of stories that are, well, not very powerful, flawed, incomplete, weak, or just just not accurate at all. And there's a real power for going, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. And being open to discovering things you thought you knew that you don't know. And to go, and there's a lot of real power in going like, okay, so that's what I made up before. Do I really know that? Is that real? And one of my favorite ones was sunrise, right? We still call it sunrise. And I look out there and I go, hey, look, the sun's rising, right? And it's not. But I sure called it that. And it sure looks like that, but that's not what's happening. It's like the sun's being revealed by this by the earth as it rotates around. And yet we still call it those things and we still do that. And I'm going like there's a lot of knowledge that I coupled to that are really out of date, specifically in a world that's changing as fast as ours is right now. And to be able to be open and notice that I'm on the search for things that I think I know that I don't know. They're not real. And to be able to put those in the category of, oh, there's an unknown again. And to be at peace and playful and fun with that as I run another experiment to see what is real. Yeah, so what you triggered for me, I'm not sure I'm ready to call the morning sun, switch from sunrise to sun reveal somehow. It just doesn't have, have the, the same ring. I, I've tried that, by the way, and, it, and people look at you a little weird to go, what? Yeah, no, I think we'll stay with sunrise. But what you what you triggered me is chasing after knowledge that's not real, right? Rather than bumping into something that didn't work or not as you expected and then figuring it out. And so I see a confused look on your face for those who can see that. Say, say a little more. Yeah, so like the sunrise, right? You could chase the whole story of why is the sun rising, which... You could come to conclusions the world is flat, right? Things rotate a different way. Or you could look at it, I guess as somebody eventually did, is what are the mechanics behind that and not stuck on the story behind what it is, right? And to be open, and what I mean by bumping into something, it's like, well, I didn't expect it to work that way. Okay, maybe my story's not right. And maybe my background isn't correct. And I'm okay with that. So let's modify it. Rather than saying the story's right, so what actually happened to me has to be wrong. Mm -hmm. What would, like if you were in a space of being able to dance with that in a world, like what would your mood be or how would you be with that? What would your way of being? Curious. It's my favorite mood these days is just to be ultra curious, not even a little curious, ultra curious about everything. And it has opened huge spaces to me to notice so many different things. So for me, it's curiosity. And the other one is fun because I just learn better and view the world better when I'm having fun. I accept. Thank you. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all. And we'll see you next time.